The Day of Atonement is coming. I should blow a shofar, but that's to call you to worship. This is the ship's bell, right? What did you call me, Captain Ahab? What? What did you say? My ca- oh, Captain, my Captain. That's safe. That's all right. I'll let you. Captain Ahab. I'm going to get that whale. The reason I rang the bell is because uh, you remember Bill gave it to me as a uh, reminder that we're trying to move from cruise ship to battleship, kind of a good analogy, and uh, some things I kind of wanted to chat about relating to that this morning, if I may, and um, of course, since I'm the preacher and nobody else is ready to preach, I may. And what I used to do is have a little time of uh, what I would call housekeeping, speaking into the life of the body. The, the message is coming. Don't worry, it's coming. Uh, but this relates to it. In fact, how many of you liked our little event last week when uh, we started to power wash the building? Tim loved it. Tim loved it and also got acclaimed as handsome, so he couldn't lose on, on that morning. Oh, we were trying to make a point, and we haven't totally made it yet. We're going to uh, unpack all your answers that I faithfully wrote down And we'll be unpacking them because there were no wrong answers, except the ones that were wrong. No, there are no wrong answers because depending on the context, they can be right or wrong. Everybody with me? So we'll go and unpack that as we go because sometimes we have wrong thinking. We think we get something and we actually have it wrong or we have it right and we don't realize we have it right and we should be encouraged by that. So... Housekeeping. I saved all those answers. Uh, We will reprise them. But what I'm moving up to starting next week is talking about worship as a lifestyle. Because we're called into serving God. In fact, one of the words for worship is to serve. The uh, peoples around the children of Israel served false gods. We serve the living God. And that means more than just Coming, by the way, when you come here, did anybody lift up their voice and sing any of those hymns? Then you were serving God, right? That's serving God. Is that all there is to it? No, you knew the answer. I guess I don't have to preach it. (laughs) So, by the way, those hymns, uh, holy, 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 there are certain ones that always work, right? Great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace, holy, holy, holy. If you don't, if that doesn't get your wood going, you know, your wood's wet or something like that, I my southern brother used to say, who led our worship. Let me just mention a couple of things. This is, I I do have to speak, this is for members and participants of Harmony. If you consider Harmony your home assembly, or you're undecided, maybe. If you're visiting, I don't want you to go to sleep, but this isn't about you. Once in a while, I have to speak some more sober type truths. And um, I have uh, struggled with from the time I landed at Harmony three years ago. Now I've been the pastor for almost a year. I've only been the pastor for almost a year. You do understand that, right? I mean, uh, God had to deal with my rotten attitude. He had to get you used to me, and now you almost like me. And uh, I said almost, all right? And we're working (laughs) I was in a meeting this week with one of our saints said, you've been here long enough. You must love us by now. I said, I fell in love with you earlier, okay? But because I love you, just like I love my children, when I see them doing something I want to kick their dupa, then I say something. I won't kick your dupa, but, well, maybe verbally. Okay, so here's how we do this. 
We have a choice, and that's why I rang the bell, to become a combat unit rather than a club or a chapel. Now, I said a long time ago, and I don't care which church you want. Make up your mind what you want. Just let me know so I can plan my future, not that I have much of one left, appropriately. Do you want a chapel? If you want a chapel, get a weekend preacher. Everybody becomes a very intense tither, double tither, so you can pay for everything that needs to happen around here with cash. You don't have to lift a finger. You show up on Sunday, bring your visiting friends, and you have a nice weekend chapel preacher who keeps everyone happy. That's a viable option if you want to. I mean, people at resort areas, they go to chapels like that. They, they pay for it, if you will, if that's what you want to do. The other opportunity is to be a club where we pay our dues by coming, tithing, whatever, but we don't want to lift a hand, if you will, or really get... The old expression my administrator up north used to use was get skin in the game. You know what I mean? Get skin in the game. Some of you have so much skin in the game, you're down to the bones. You better stop it. I keep saying that. I'm not talking about anyone in particular here. She's smiling at me and waving at me. But there are people like who feel like they're carrying the weight of the whole place to keep it alive. That's wrong. It has to be a team effort. Let me just read a couple of things. You never believe me, but when Rainer says it, then you believe me. So let me quote some things about Rainer. I want to read through four bullets that will kind of challenge us, I hope, because from my chair, I see some of this, and I'm worried about it. Four reasons people are dropping out of church. This is general, by the way. This is our culture. Four reasons. Here they are. Disposable mindset. Who needs it? You know what? With a lot of it, who does need it? What difference does it make except add aggravation to your life, right? If that's been your experience with churches, can I just once again apologize on behalf of Jesus because he never intended it to be that way? Disposable. People aren't serving. People aren't challenged. Here's the last one. I think this is a problem for us. People aren't discipled. If I'm discipled, worshiping God becomes a big priority in my life. That's the difference. That's why we're starting our groups tonight, by the way. But here's one thing. Let me just read this. Some highlights from today's episode talking about dropping out of church. Churches where people demand to be served rather than being servants have ceased being biblical churches. They're religious country clubs. So let me read about the country club. This is another one. Four types of churches that will soon die. It's very quiet now, isn't it? There's four here, but I'm not going to read all three. Just the one. The country club church. Members in these churches see their membership as perks and privileges. They want their styles of music, their worship service times, their types of architecture, their preferred lengths of sermons. They pay their dues so they should get their benefits, or so the thinking goes. Don't ask them, and here I highlighted this part, don't ask them to evangelize, put others first, or to make sacrifices. Sacrifice is often a missing word in the church today. After all, it's their church. But that kind of church is going to die soon. The reason I read it is because I think I smell some of that. I'm just telling you what I think. I would not be your pastor doing a good job if I didn't tell you what I thought. The three most common sentences of dying churches. Want to hear the first one? The seven last words of the church, right? We've never done it that way before. 
I just met with our mission committee, and someone said, that's what I've heard on occasion. Who cares what you never did before? How's it working for you, as a famous TV psychiatrist would say, psychologist, right? So how's that working for you? Anyway, here's my favorite one. Our pastor doesn't visit enough. Now, I haven't heard that one yet, but I will. Trust me. But if you're, what was that? You want to go now? <laughs> Even teaching karate, I wouldn't go up against him. He's the most trained guy in the room. Anyway, third one. People know where our church is if they want to come here. Can you imagine people actually say that? You don't say it. You might think it, though. I'm not even going to get into this because this is one of the things we want to move upward, up the ladder, if you will. The healthy church, there's another one. I'll, I'll dig it out another time, but this is an aside. This is my ADD kicking in. Uh, healthy churches, where will they be 10 years from now, the ones that will have grown and increased? One of them said that uh, I think it was a quarter or all of their people would have or some percentage of their congregation would have invited Four other people that they know to their church in that year. Now, I know some of you are still undecided whether you even want to invite somebody here. So eventually, you're going to have to make up your mind. Are you in or out? Make up your mind. If you, if you want to be in, then the goal is to change the atmosphere so that we're confident about bringing others, confident that we can help them advance in their Christian faith rather than be harmed. What some church members really mean when they say they want their church to grow. Can I just say something? I'm not convinced all of us in the room want it to grow. I'm not convinced. Growth is a sign of life, right? New life every spring. We're going into fall. This is my favorite time. I don't know how you cannot be wired with this kind of weather. This is awesome weather. Don't even say it. Just move to Florida. But in the spring, life, right? Because life grows. And normal, healthy Christianity grows and reproduces. Search committee, the pastor began, said they really wanted the church to grow. Now I'm leading them to do some things to reach people and know some same people are out to get me. <laughs> That's not mine. I didn't write that. I, ha I don't have anybody, I think, out to get me. Uh, oh, now, now I'll get all kinds of emails this week. Yeah, I'm one. You, know, you missed me. Anyway, so here's one. What? Both. Because if it's healthy, it's both. Okay. If it's healthy, it's both. It's a, that is a very good question. If you didn't hear it, what kind of growth do you mean? Spiritual or physical? Both. People who park in this safety zone and say, well, we're not, we're not reaching anybody. We're deep. Yeah, you're deep, all right. And all we're doing over here is reaching the lost. And I've, I've encountered that as well. All that matters is reaching the lost. No, I'm sorry. You better read your Bible again. There's more to that. Ministries that they get lots of professions. There's zero follow-up. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing, Okay. So here's some things. I want my church to grow unless I lose my parking spot and my seat in the worship center. I hope you do. Everybody with me on that? No? Yeah, maybe two of us. Okay. Unless we have to spend a lot of money on those people. 
By the way, the reason we're doing that back there is because those bathrooms are unacceptable. Period. That's only a month. Never mind. Okay, so back on task. Unless I want it to grow, unless the new people mess up my current fellowship circles and groups. May they do so. In fact, that's what I'm working on tonight. I want to break up the fallow ground. Unless we have to change the facilities in any way to accommodate the growth, then I'm okay with it. All right, you get the idea, right? Can I stop now? So, yeah, please, please. <laughs> please, Pastor John, I've had enough. So the reason I, I'm sharing that, and by the way, I think we, can, we, have, we have seen here a can-do spirit. But some of you still have to make up your mind if you're in or out. Okay, you have to make up your mind. Thankfully, when we uh, pulled all the chairs, the, the atmosphere in this place was great. You guys pulled it off. I was so proud of you and so encouraged. And we just need to do that in terms of choosing to be not only growing spiritually, but growing physically, because that's normal. And thankfully, we have some new brethren in the room right now, so we praise God for that. But guess what? I'm not the only one that does that business. You guys also participate. We'll get to that when we look at the subject of worship as a lifestyle. And hopefully... Our um, series will help us to grow in this. And I'm just going to make one last statement. This is the hardest thing I'll say this morning, I think, about this. From my chair, our personal priorities are elsewhere. I think the way why this place at times has looked like it does, has been treated like it is, why programs kind of fall apart or look spastic or whatever it might be is because it's at the bottom of our priority list. You could never keep your job at work if you treated it the way God's business is treated. You have to make up your mind, is this God's business? And is this the business of God that you want to be part of? And if you do, then let's do it. Okay? Okay, I'm done preaching. Off you go. I'm kidding. You ready to shift gears? Okay. Anybody mad at me? I don't care. Anyway, so... I'm not. I'm kidding, of course. What's that? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Preach it. Preach it? Wow, you haven't had enough yet. All right. Here we go. Let me pray with us, okay? <clears throat> I want to thank you, God. And, and I know it's hard for us sometimes to get our hands around this in our head, our mental hands. You not only rescue us, you invite us to be part of the eternal plan of salvation that we get to contribute that one day we stand before the father and we rejoice with others who because of what we have done they'll say when lord when did we visit them in prison when lord when did we feed them and clothe them when did that i don't remember doing that when did i give the gospel to that i don't remember it but in heaven you're going to remind us and we're going to rejoice that we've been part of that So help us to reset our dial here and see you for who you are, have the right view of you, because that will change the right view of ourselves. Give us the right view of ourselves and the great privilege we have of being joined to you through the effectual, remarkable, redemptive, self-sacrificing work of our Savior Jesus. He didn't die on the cross so that we could feel all warm and fuzzy about how much he loves us. Yes, we should have that feeling. But he died for us to put us into service. 
Pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to enlighten us today, we pray, as we shift gears and look at you as you are. In the great name of Jesus, illumine our minds today, we ask. Amen. All right, so we want to talk today about worshiping the Lord, and I want to begin with the title, Fear and Trembling. I don't know if anybody recognized, I got the guy's name at the bottom of the screen, Soren Kierkegaard. When I was in college, I was not a Christian yet. I, no, I was a brand new Christian. I had just shifted over to religious studies, and I had to read this book, Soren Kierkegaard. And the story, the book, is Fear and Trembling. It's an account of Abraham on his way to Mount Moriah. What did he have to do there? Sacrifice his son and the anguish, the turmoil, the terror, if you will, that he had to wrestle through. That's what that was all about. Not that I agree with his conclusions per se, but that was the title. But I thought that's an appropriate title. And I gave us Leviticus 9, which we will turn to in just a couple of moments, to read. I want to begin speaking of this concept of... Because we know there's an expression scripturally called the fear of the Lord... And uh, I always hear us dumbing things down about it. What does it actually mean? And so I want to unpack that a little bit, if I could. I want to start with a book that um, I encouraged us to read last year, Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy One. Remember that one? And uh, if you haven't uh, ever read it, let me encourage you. I I was kind of surprised. My youth pastor walked in. He said, hey, man, that's that's like hardcore reading. What What is this? You know, this isn't like... You know, funny, funny pages in the paper. You said something like that, right? You're not in trouble. I was good. I like that. It was, it was all good. Let me just read a couple of things from him. First one. The human mind. So let's just get this straight. As we look at the text we're going to look at this morning, let's just get this clear in our head. The human mind being created has an understandable uneasiness about the uncreated. We do not find it comfortable to allow for the presence of one who is wholly outside of the circle of our familiar knowledge. We tend to be disquieted by the thought of one who does not account to us for his being. Who is responsible to no one. Who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. I mean, people constantly judge God, right? Always. He's always the one wrong, especially when it doesn't go my way. It's going my way, maybe I'll say thank you, rarely. If it goes against me, then he's the one to blame. That's the way it often works, correct? All right. But contemplation of the Holy One, the point of his whole book, of seeing God more as he really is than we know, will help us to reset our moral, ethical, and even internal compass about what matters. He's talking about the decline in the church that he was always uh, carrying on like this. But he says this, the decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way toward curing them. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. Did you catch that? It's impossible to stay on track morally, ethically, what have you, in your mind. If your view of God is wrong, if you think as somebody prayed in there this morning, it was really right on, you know, we kind of think of God as a senile grandpa who kind of winks as his grandchildren terrorize the neighborhood and destroy his house. That's not true. That's not how he is. 
If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. And so he makes one quote. Let me just read this. He quotes from Julian of Norwich, one of the spiritual fathers. For he willeth that we be occupied in knowing and loving till the time that we shall be fulfilled in heaven. For of all things, the beholding and loving of the maker maketh the soul to seem less in his own sight. Are you following what I'm saying? Let me repeat that. For of all things, the beholding and loving of the maker makes my soul to seem less in my own sight. And most fills me with reverent dread and true meekness. And guess what else? Plenty of charity from my fellow Christians. In other words, when I meet a brother who is hateful toward his fellow Christians, uncompassionate, unforgiving, well, how dare you, and looks down his nose, he's not spending enough time contemplating his maker. Where do you get this stuff, Hako? Anyway. So I thought God's timing was perfect today. God, you know, I, I love being in the zone. Yeah, you know what I mean when you're in the zone? Talk to me later. Anyway, remember I shared this um, text last week. It comes out of a book called Christ-Centered, Preaching, uh, Christ-Centered Worship by Brian Chappell, the president. He was then the president of Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. Remember this? If God's people gather to worship without evident gladness, awe, and security. I love that. Gladness, awe. We're going to talk about awe today. And security in God's redemptive provision. I'm secure in my father. Do I know that? Then their worship is defective. So I thought it was really great that God sent me the newspaper today, and guess what the parade section was? It was all about awe, and everybody said, awe. Isn't that cool? Awe. There's the planet Earth from a space shot, which is is awe-inspiring. How the soul-stirring wonder sparked by a shooting star, a majestic peak, can transform your health and happiness. Now, I'm going to tell you, this one is a little bit dumbed down, okay, for the average consumer. Because when you're missing what's behind the awe, you're really missing an awful lot. You're missing it. But let me just read a couple of things. This is, remember, non-believing minds are saying this, which is... Which is... uh, Informative, isn't it? It's educational in a way. It tells us something about how we're made. What is awe anyway? <laughs> Skittles, they're awesome. You know, come on. I mean, I, I saw some movies that are awesome. Last night, oh, did you know that The Magnificent Seven was on TV last night, Jody? Uh, I'll loan you my copy. Awesome movie! It's one of the most awesome movies, and the original Japanese version was even better. But anyhow, no, more than that, right? Awe is the feeling of being, get this, listen carefully, awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast or beyond human scale that transcends our current understanding of things. Psychologist Dacha Keltner at the University of California. Something vast, something beyond human scale, something other. When speaking of God, um, C.S. Lewis coined the phrase the numinous, totally other, tingly. Uh oh, this is, you know, Bill, 
Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You know, it's different. You need to get out more, guys, if you don't know that one. Holy cow. Awe. This picture of awe. Awe helps us see things in a new way. Awe binds us together. Listen to this. It actually has a body life effect, he says. It's likely human reason... uh, No, no. It is a likely reason human beings are wired to feel awe. Can you imagine? Human beings are wired to feel awe. Now, where did that come from? It just happened, right? In the primordial ooze, there was a little DNA factor. Aw, aw, aw. No. (laughs) You see the irrationality of that? It just blows my mind. Aw helps us see things in new ways. This stop-and-think phenomenon makes us more receptive to details and new information. Even Albert Einstein described feelings of awe as the source of all true art and science. Awe causes a kind of be-here-now that dissolves the self. These are non-believing comments. Isn't that something? Because there is something wired. We were made to worship him. What is the chief end of men? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, to worship him. That's part of the enjoyment. So let me, uh, let me take us to a story back in the book of Genesis. You're not going to turn there. I'm going to save your turning to later, okay? But just because, you know, we say, well, what is the fear of the Lord? Oh, we just have to respect God. Yeah, I respect the president. Whether I think he's a good president or not, I respect him because of his office. Is that how I'm supposed to feel toward God, or is it a little bit more lofty than that? Or fear God, if you will. So, oh, you know what? Let me set this up before you read it. I knew you were going to read that. So in the Old Testament, God is going to make a covenant with Abraham. He's going to choose him out of all the peoples of the earth, which is amazing in itself because all those peoples are sinners, including Abraham and the family stock he comes from. But God makes a sovereign choice. He says, I'm going to make this agreement with you. And to your children, which he has none, he has none, to your children, remember he's an old man too, that's part of the miracle, that's what's wonderful about the story, to your children I'm going to give this land, the promised land, which they still hold today. Today. But to do that, he makes a covenant with Abraham. Now, in the Old Testament days, and in foreign cultures as well, to make a covenant, you had to have something that made it solemn. Everybody been, been to a wedding 20 years ago? <laughs> you know what I mean. That there are solemn commitment, and there's this event that happens. By the way, we have part... Um, representations, vestigial remnants of this all the way down to the present. The groom's family on one side, the bride's family on the other side, right? Two parties coming together. People pass down between the parties and make a covenant. I swear on pain of death. That's what he used to say. So help me God, I'll never go to another man or another woman until death parts us. So God does this ceremony called covenant making and he tells Abraham get these animals cut them up place the parts on the ground and I will enter into covenant with you it's a sacrifice and a feast that takes place but it happens between two parties and in the middle of the night while Abraham is there 
It's pitch black, and all of a sudden there appears this smoking furnace, some kind of a cauldron and a flaming torch, and it floats. Wouldn't this be great in HD? (laughs) I mean, really. And it floats down between the animal pieces. And I'm sure Abraham said, oh, cool, dude, check that out. Which is about where we park anymore. Oh, I got warm shivers up my spine when I went to church last week. What good is that if it doesn't transform anything internally? Look at this. When the sun was going down in prep for this, deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great... How do you like that word? Terror and great darkness fell upon him. And a prophecy comes about his future generations being in slavery and all that. Let me tell you, it wasn't like, this is so much fun. It wasn't like that. But he met with God Almighty. And history was changed, let alone his life. History was changed from that point on. Awe of a flaming torch. Actually, kind of a creepy experience, if you will. So that brings us to where we are today. I'd like you to take your pew Bible or your Bible. If you carry your own Bible, you know how to find your way to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. How hard is that? Third book in. And if you have your pew Bible, it's page 112. And the text that we're going to look at, I will highlight, but I want you to read it yourself in print. And go down to verse 23. And the context of this story is that the children of Israel have just finished making the temple, the tabernacle rather, the mobile unit that they used to worship God wherever they settled, the place that all of the children of Israel were to bring their sacrifices to honor God. And they had just finished it, and they're dedicating the temple, and they're consecrating Aaron and his sons, and all of that is coming to an end. And here's what we read in verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then this happens. Fire came out from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they said, Oh, dude. (laughs) They shouted and fell on their faces. You probably would, too. Guess what's going to happen here? Not only am I so pleased with this sacrifice, put your matchbox away. Down they go. Two words that are used. Can I just be blunt? I'm not sure that I can adequately convey what I'm trying to convey today. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can't. You need to take what I'm saying today and go home and say, Holy Spirit, start planting some of this in my DNA. All the people saw it. They shouted and fell on their faces. Two words in this. One, the word shout can be translated, they rang out or they cried out. Ranan is the Hebrew word. They cried out and it can be a cry of joy or distress. You want to hear something fun? The Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament that Jesus would have read, the word that is translated, they shouted, is they went out of their skulls. They went nuts. You know, we say that, oh man, the crowd went nuts. That's what it's saying. They went nuts. 
Yikes! And boom, down they go. Excitement, joy, thrilled, and sheer terror. All rolled into one. This one feeling one, this one feeling the other, then later switching. Who knows? But that's what it's saying. And then the second response, I didn't put the word up, but they prostrated themselves. They, the P in your notes is prostration. And by the way, it means to put your countenance in the dirt. Your puss, put your face right in the dirt. That's what it means. Jesus uses the same kind of word in the New Testament we said last week. Uh, those who seek to be the followers of the Father have to worship him in spirit and truth. Remember the word worship? It means to prostrate. It means to kiss toward. It means to humble and lay flat. Uh, uh, an inferior in front of the superior. Laying flat. I get that more in some of the... Asian culture, for example. Anybody remember great movies about, you know, um, oh, Shaolin, what was the show, the TV show about the Shaolin? No, not that one. Although Shogun has it, too. Uh, I was thinking of Shaolin Temple guy. Uh, Kung Fu, thank you. Way back. That's old stuff. But those, those little boys wanted to be welcomed into the, the temple to learn and become disciples, and they flat out, Face, forehead on the ground. Please take me as your disciple. The superior, please choose me. And that's the right spirit in bowing before God. Sometimes I have a hard time. Why? I don't, maybe we need kneeling benches in here. I don't, not really. We got movable chairs now. You can just shove it out of the way, get on your knees. You know. Imagine what would be talked about if Glenn Peterson came up here and laid flat on the ground before God because he was so moved. Oh, it would be all over Facebook. <laughs> you see what he did. How shameful. No, 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 no. How shameful that you're judging him. Amen. How shameful. Fell flat on the ground. Then something very bad happens. You didn't shut your Bibles yet, did you? No, you already cheated and looked ahead, didn't you? Here we go. Chapter 10. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they're the new priests. Boy, they're feeling pretty good right about now. They pretty well are sure. Well, you know, we did such a good job here that we brought fire down out of heaven. Are we awesome or what? We're really doing well here. So, hey, let's get some of this incense. I like the smell of this incense a little better than the incense they use in the temple. That new stuff they're making. Ooh, I don't know, but this stuff is really cool. It's like vanilla. They put that incense on their censers. Here's what it says. And their fire pans. And after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. What do you think? You're going to mess around with me? We talked a little bit this morning about Aslan. Anybody remember Aslan and Lord of the uh, and Lord of the Rings? I got to switch. The Chronicles of Narnia, right? Everybody with me? Yes. Aslan. Lucy's finding out about Aslan. She's talking to a talking beaver. Go figure that out. But anyway, the beaver goes. I'm talking about Aslan. She goes. He's a lion. He's a lion. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a lion. Is he quite safe? Of course he's not safe. What kind of a question is that? He's a lion. 
<laughs> you know what happens in these um, wild animal parks and stuff where people tend to animal? They forget that it's a wild animal and then they're dead. They forget that it's a wild animal. We forget that it's God Almighty. Of course he's not safe. Oh, but thank God for the next line. But he's good. He's good. He's good. So they get consumed, and Moses says this to Aaron. It's what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, those who are going to represent me specially, all of us, really, but those who are going to stand in the gap, if you will, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, shut up. That's a tough one, isn't it? Of course, you do have to recognize that the world was a lot tougher then. We're a lot softer now. You know, mortality rates were much higher in ancient days and even 100 years ago in America. So we're a little bit on the spoiled side that way. But the reality of what just happened, Aaron kept his peace. Aaron had learned a bad lesson earlier when they came out of the land of Israel. Anybody remember that one? Made a fat, remember the story? Oh, we need, you know, we don't want what happened to Moses up on the mountain, 40 days. We need a, we need a God to follow. So they all bring gold to him. He says, bring me your gold. He, he fashions a fatted calf for them to worship. What a dumb thing to do. And he's the priest, right? And I love his, his uh, statement. Hey, I, I, they brought me all this gold. I threw it in the fire. I'll pop this calf. I mean, I don't know how that happened. There's another miracle. Aaron, don't make that mistake again. Moses said, this is what God meant when he said, you're going to treat me as holy. And he goes, okay, I'm not going to make up another story. Let's look at these words here, if I could. To do obeisance, that word to bow down, I already mentioned proscuno, is to, to do obeisance, to honor the, the lower under the advanced, the one above. You will treat me as Holy and before my people, I will be honored. Here's the two words. One, holy, kadosh. If you hear Hebrew prayers, you will hear, like out of Isaiah, kadosh, 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 holy, 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 right out of Isaiah, reflecting, even implicating the Trinity. Holy, holy, kadosh, kadosh. What is kadosh? What is holy? It means set apart. Same idea comes over to us as believers. You're set apart. You're a holy priesthood. Set apart. Set apart for God's use as opposed to things that are common. This is the regular equipment in my garage. This is the holy equipment. No one touches the holy equipment except me. It's called a VTX 1300 and nobody touches it. Get what I'm saying? It's set apart. And God means much more serious than just some idol it's set apart, gesundheit. So set apart as in for holy use, sinless, without blemish, that's holy. God is holy. He is absolutely and utterly without fault or sin. Something we can't quite fully grasp. But next, honored. I love this word. Kabod. <clears throat> It's the word that's translated glory, and what it comes from is the meaning is weight, something that's weighty. Um, Does anybody remember in the Old Testament there was a person who um, was named when there was a disaster that hit the children of Israel? 
a baby was born, and they named the baby Ichkabod. Ichkabod. Ich against Kabod. The glory has departed. That's what it meant. The weightiness. The power of God, if you will. The weightiness of God. You know, when you... Um, Meet somebody and you interact with them right here in the church, for example. You have a conversation. How's it going? How's the motorcycle? How's this happening? What about this? How's the fan? Blah, blah. How, what do you think of that game last night? Boy, was that ugly. Whatever. That's not weighty conversation. When all of a sudden they just turn and say, you know, I am struggling with this. All of a sudden the conversation goes heavy. It goes weighty. And the Father in heaven is weighty. Something to be reckoned with, if you will. Set apart and pure and holy, unblemished. He cannot even look upon evil. The scripture uses that kind of language, but also to be treated heavy. How to worship, how to treat him. He has an opinion about how we ought to think about the God of heaven. Let me read something to you, if I could, from this book. I've got tons of books on the subject, but this one is Enter His Courts with Praise, Old Testament Worship for the New Testament Church, which, by the way, there is a lot of crossover. So if um, you're on my watch and you say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, I'm going to educate you (laughs) because we're Old and New Testament. We're Bible Christians. That's what we ought to be. Fear of the Lord. What are the characteristics of Worshiping God, personal piety, and the question comes up, with, what is the fear of the Lord? Listen to what he lists. Uh, this is a guy named Andrew Hill, for those of you who are interested. And he says, specifically, the acquisition of the fear of the Lord is described by Hebrew sages involves the following things. One, the desire to get understanding. In other words, he's up there. Who can fathom this? And I need understanding. I need to learn. Two, awe and reverence for the God of creation and redemption, which elicits genuine worship and willing obedience to his commands. Awe and reverence produces, how can I not serve him? If I really get that. Dread at God's holiness and trepidation of his divine judgment. We never like to hear that. Let me just read it again. Dread at God's holiness and trepidation of his divine judgment. My wife has said more times than not, one of the things that has kept us on the straight and narrow, my wife, we raised five children. Look at, you see all that gray hair? You got to cut me some slack, all right? Sherry, how many children? Five children. My wife would say over and over again, I fear God too much to go outside of his boundaries because I fear for my children. Facing the consequences. I fear for that. I think if Christians in America had more of that in their DNA, it would change not only us, but people watching us. What is it with them? It's a holy God. That's what it is. Wait a minute, I'm not done. Faith and trust in God's plan for human life. There's the the awe and the trust and the confidence in his goodness. And a rejection of pride and self-reliance. Hating and avoiding evil and refusing to envy sinners. Getting understanding. It's all good stuff. I was going to tell you how the New Testament says the same thing, but you know how to read. And uh, it does say the same thing. 
When Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in church, what a fun worship service that must have been. (laughs) The Bible says fear came on all of them. Oh, I have such healthy respect for what might happen to me. No, fear. The word is phobos, from which we get phobia. Yikes! This is serious business. Right? So rather than read all of that, let me just show you one thing. You think, boy, there's a way to, to thin out the church membership real quick and get rid of people. You know, nobody wants. Here's what it said. Let me show you that. I'm going to go boom, boom, boom. Look, none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Everybody in town, though, you don't want to go to that church. God shows up there. You might end up dead. And in spite of that, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Enough of them figured out this God must be good. He's showing up in church. I'm going. And they became disciples. Isn't that fun? Contrary to what we, oh, we got to make it all sanitized. Make sure God doesn't sound ferocious. Don't tell, talk about that Aslan stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Really? What are people looking for? Nonsense? There's plenty of that. They want authenticity. Who's the real God? So, unashamed. John, the apostle, who spoke about love more than any other. God is love. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Everybody get that? Here's what happened to John. When I saw him, Jesus, this is at the end of his life, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Dude. And he said, his right hand upon me saying, and here's the good news. Here's the good news. A holy God that's not to be trifled with. And I am embarrassed by the way Christians trifle with him. Let me see how close I can get this. Oh, it's not a big deal. What a bunch of garbage you're eating. If he's holy, he's calling you to be holy. Not a Pharisee, not self-righteous, actually letting him transform you from the inside out. Sorry about that little outburst, but I'm not sorry, really. And he laid his right hand on me. Here's the good news. You are a dirty person. Yes, that's me. How many times have I told you sin is good news, right? Why is it good news? Because then I can be saved from my sin. The Savior came for me. If I'm not a sinner, he didn't come for me. But he did come for me, right? And he says to me, hey, hey, wake up. Get up. Laying his hand on me. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I was dead and I'm alive again. And I did all of that for who? For you. Anybody ever read Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest? Right? Good reading. A little bit hard. It's kind of advanced stuff. I was just reading in the last week. God's view of sin. You want to know God's view of sin? Look at the cross. Not the sanitized silver cross you're wearing. The cross with the blood and gore running down. That's God's view of sin. Destroy it. Kill it. And in the person of Jesus, he did that. And that is why, yay, the gospel, we can draw near to this holy God. Not because we're so cool. That's the gospel. Do you get that this morning? Have you trusted in a God who is the real God who provides for you to be rescued? You can't rescue us. You can't earn enough brownie points. You can't light enough candles. You can't give enough tithes. You know, give to the animal shelter. Whatever it is, you can't do enough. You need his intervention. God's opinion of your sin is the cross and the blood running down. So 
So what I'm trying to get at is in our message today is I think a little bit of this. Remember Moses in the Ten Commandments, he sees the burning, but that would be a weird experience, wouldn't it? I also don't think Moses went like, dude, check that out. I think that's what he did, most likely. He got on his knees and said, who are you, Lord? And that's what he actually did. I think more of this leads us to legitimate more of that. Otherwise, we're missing it. Holy fear. Recognize, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And he wants to rescue you if you'll put your trust in him because he's good, he loves you. And he proved his love by paying for your distance from him on the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close in prayer. If you've never really settled that, and I'm I'm telling you, some of us, I fear, you think you've settled because you prayed a prayer. I know I sound like a broken record, but I observe people and I go, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of the grace of God at work in this life, even though they think they're okay. If what I just said triggers something in you, let me encourage you to come talk to me because I'll try to aim you in the right direction. And guess what? I can't save you. There's only one who can save you. But he will, if you're willing. Let's stand together as we close. You are the everlasting God. You do not change. You don't grow weary. You are good, but you're holy and will be treated with heaviness and respect. You will share your glory with no man. And Lord, you're not to be trifled with. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illumine our minds, whether in the family or outside of the family today. Help us, we pray, to make the right decisions of putting you in the right place in our life. We'll praise you for that. Help us, we ask. Put your angels around your people. Build them up in their most holy faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray together and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. See you at training tonight. If you need to know whether you're in with the Lord Jesus, come talk to me.